Welcome to CAE Pilot Podcast, a podcast that brings together aviation professionals to discuss life as a pilot, training, and career advice. You can find us at cae.com forward slash CAE Pilot dash podcast or subscribe to our show on your audio podcasting platform of choice. You can also find our video podcast on our YouTube channel. Today, we're thrilled to have Ian Hausman and Vladimir Geck from Elite Avia join us. Elite Avia is a private company and one of the largest operators of global 6,000 business jets. They are Argus Platinum and ISBEO certified and have a growing fleet of aircraft in North and South America, including global 6,000 aircraft, and they're adding Gulfstream 450 and 650 to their fleet. They also um, have an A340 coming to their fleet in the very near future. They're a global operation, and um, maybe we'll get started, in by you telling us a little bit more about Elite Avia. Thanks, Patrick. Um, we're so happy to have you here, and maybe we should start um, Elite Avia uh, is uh, a well-established business aviation company, um, and um, maybe, Ian, you can tell us a little bit about um, Elite Avia. So Elite Avia is, uh, is, is a business aviation company. Um, we manage clients' aircraft, and we charter aircraft as well. Um, the business has two uh, AOCs, one in Malta and one in Slovenia. We have bases around the globe. Uh, we are flying 24-7 on every continent. And um, we haven't really uh, noticed much difference over the last, over the COVID period anyway. Um, people want need to fly, and uh, they've turned to business aviation for that as a source of meeting that requirement. Um, the company's had a long association with CAE. Uh, we've uh, just re-signed a contract um, going to the end of 2021, and um, we've always had a, a fantastic experience with uh, the account managers, and Vladimir will probably be able to tell you more on that. And I, uh, just in my research, I know that our uh, relationship uh, goes back a full decade, um, which is, uh, and obviously we're thrilled to have uh, Elite Avia um, as, uh, as uh, customers of CAE. Um, you know, you, you touched on it before, uh, Ian, that uh, the COVID period has really, um, you know, it, it's... Uh, Air travel has, if not stopped on the commercial side, it's certainly um, been curtailed. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, maybe a bit more in depth about what you've seen on the business aviation side. Well, I think uh, if we step back a little bit before that, um, the the whole uh, COVID situation is 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 predicated on instability that was already existing. So we were still in the process of, whether people realize it or not, we're in the process of recovering from the 2008 financial crisis. Uh, there's generalized political instability across the world. And there are other issues with those structures. And COVID really um, took hold where SARS didn't and was able to spread quickly. So from a from a business aviation perspective uh, we saw people 
uh, taking advantage of the fact that uh, we could fly from specific locations and not hubs, uh, we were able to implement better or more um, um, tailored solutions for uh, protection of the passengers. Uh, and that, from from our perspective, doesn't just start when the the client or or the uh, potential charter wants to fly. It starts way before that with questions about their their uh, travel history. We talk with our suppliers to see what they provide from a COVID security point of view. So uh, it, it's made it more complex, especially for positioning of staff. Uh, and that's that's something that goes on in the background, and we use the, the normal conventional airlines for that. Um, you've seen changes really across aviation conventionally from the busiest airports in the world becoming the quietest, and some of the quietest, like Anchorage, becoming the busiest. Which is, which is I yeah. mean, uh, it's really funny yeah. in a lot of ways. But there's, there's, there's structural elements behind that that make it, um, even more complex because a small airport becoming the busiest in the world uh, suddenly has a lack of hotel space, there's uh, catering challenges, there's, there's all sorts of other challenges that go on in the background. But from a business aviation point of view, we've seen a significant change in the profile of how we fly, where we fly, and the amount of flying we're doing. So would you say then that, uh, would you say that business has picked up? Are you seeing a different type of customer? How, what, what does that change look like? In, in some areas has definitely changed. Uh, we, we're doing a lot of ultra long haul um, from a charter perspective. On the other side, uh, clients who own their, who, who we manage the business aircraft for, some have chosen not to fly, uh, which um, the, the issues with flying in, across certain countries at the very start was reasonably simple. Um, the restrictions on flying were accepted globally. They were pretty generic. Uh, everybody understood what they meant. Now we're into a different phase where we're in this kind of dip between uh, countries having the first phase of COVID and maybe the second or even third. Some countries are still struggling with the first. And they're taking localized action because generic action just isn't working, um, both politically and economically. Mm. So we're, we're seeing uh, the complexity of operations becoming affected by short-term changes that, that are either polit political or economic. Um, they're affected by the nationalities of passengers flying from one state to another. They're affected by supply chain, which we're now starting to see the effects of. So maintenance in some cases is taking longer or suppliers of other facilities or, or services that we need are, uh, are having to plan more. Um, and conversely, 
we're still getting last-minute requests to to move quickly, which is very challenging to achieve. Knowing business aviation, there's always uh, there always seems to be a way to get it done, and I would imagine that uh, that your your team is finding a way to to make things happen. Yeah, I I think you hit the nail on the head with the word team because it's not just the team in the business it's the team outside all the suppliers um, even the clients to some extent understand that things are very challenging uh, and are willing to work with us our pilots and crew have been incredible um there there isn't really a, a moment where i can say that uh, we've had a challenge with teamwork it, it's it's probably brought everybody closer together including suppliers of uh, of services certainly what we've seen with cae and and continuing training has has been exceptional um what i find interesting is that what you're describing i think is what people are seeing in everyday life too here in canada we're seeing the border with the u.s closed which uh you know, I don't know that it's happened in history, and they've mm. just extended that at the same time we're seeing Europe opening up. Um, but even when we go to the grocery stores or the shelves are not, uh, don't have things that we typically have. So it's interesting, as I've spoken to people throughout aviation, how closely it's reflected in a lot of ways what's happening in, uh, in society in general. So I think it's one of those times where everybody's sort of going through it together. And I think there's an understanding of, uh, of what's happening. And yeah. it sounds like you're, you're seeing that from, uh, from not only a supplier side, but from a customer side as well. The, the idea that we're all in it together, I guess, is uh, what I'm... Yeah, I, I, th I think the, the, the challenge we all have is we, we kind of forget we're all individuals and we have families and... Uh, you know, our suppliers have the same. Uh, they're all going through this as an individual, but also in a team. We can see the economic impact on some of the strategic businesses out there, which is very concerning and unsettling for, for everyone. But we also understand what that means. That means they're, they're having to take quite difficult decisions to get through what is... Um, by no means a health crisis that's anywhere near over. The problem we have now is it's not just a health crisis, it's a political, it's an economic, it's a sociological process we have to go through. And I think we, the word unprecedented is maybe overused, but I think it's the one that we keep coming back to. I don't think we've ever yeah. seen... Um, even if you go back to 9-11 or 2008, certainly in aviation, that we've never seen anything like this. I, I think the, the challenge uh, or, um, globally is we haven't seen anything that's affected all sectors at the same time. Right. So, it, you know, just as you think you've got one thing fixed, there's another problem. Yeah. And it, it's going to take some some pretty hard thinking to to understand how we move forward there is no quick solution yeah and that's 
I think that's what everybody is starting to realize, especially as you yeah. see reopenings and, and, you know, the increase in cases, et cetera, is that moving quickly in this case, it's got to be very calculated and smart in terms of how we proceed. People might be interested to know that your background is really, I believe, as a firefighter. Am I, am I correct? Yeah, I, I spent 32 years. I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> 32 years in the fire service. I spent the last uh, 20 in, in 30 years in management, the last 15 in strategic management, so running service uh, and services. Within that, um, my background led me into uh, working in the, the counterterrorism field, and I ran that uh, uh, team for, for the southeast of England for 10 years. Uh, and also uh, commercially, I set up one of the first public service commercial companies for uh, for um, protection of infrastructure uh, in in the UK. So it's it's been a varied background, and all whilst going out and being a gold commander at uh, at the senior level on on big incidents. So it sounds to me like this is the moment that you've almost been preparing for your entire well, life. I didn't I mean, know it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how that happens. Mm. Um, you know, you, you mentioned your team, obviously, and um, I wanted to ask how, uh, you know, how did, uh, how did you prepare your team for this? How do you continue to prepare your team? Um, you know, was there any special training? What are the measures you're taking? Um, for the team to make sure that uh, your operation remains safe, both operationally and from, uh, I guess, a health and safety perspective? There's a, there's a couple of different elements around the team. Uh, obviously, we've got the teams in the offices, and then we've got the team, <coughs> both uh, pilots and, and, and crew. So one of our, uh, our approaches is don't overload people with information. I know that's easy to say, but uh, information is, or information flow is one of the, the critical things that allows people to accept change. If you have an incremental approach to management of information and changing the way that you do things incrementally, it, it's, not, um, it's not something that people will resist as opposed to a big change. Having said that, uh, at our offices, we're still working remotely, uh, so the offices have only essential personnel there at this point. Uh, we have quite a, a strong infection control process. We've limited all travel uh, to non-essential. For non-essential travel, that's, that's stopped. Um, yeah, we're, we're using... Zoom, Teams, you name it. We're using every, uh, every IT system we can to, to hold meetings, and we do that on a daily basis. Um, from, from the crew perspective, we, we have a similar approach. We build this um, safety bubble around them, so we check the suppliers and the routes that they're going to make sure that their COVID security is... Uh, is robust. Um, we track where the who the crew fly with, who the crew um, transfer from hotel 
to airport with. We check the airports. We're doing testing on the crew on a regular basis. And we collectively review that every 48 hours. So where we were, um, let's say in February, has, has changed to where we are now. And it will continue to change because uh, we had, a, we had a meet, some meetings this week just to talk about the, uh, the public perception that this is getting back to normal. And it is not getting back to normal. There are certainly still challenges with positioning staff. We've, we've just started operations in, in the US and, and South America, so there's, there's some challenges there. We work in Africa regularly. Uh, we work uh, in Asia, Russia. So we're all over the globe, and the, the challenge we have is every single part of the globe is in a different place with COVID. You're going into the hotbeds yep. when you talk about, uh, you know, unfortunately the U.S. right now, certain parts of the U.S., uh, yep. you know, and of course South America have been particularly hard hit. Yeah. Which must pose some interesting challenges. It does. I, I think on the surface there's a, there's a picture that things are uh, worse in certain areas than they actually are. Um, my background helps interpret some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. I've got some connections that are able to help me. Um, and this is one of the things that we, we are very strong on. We have big personal networks. So we're able to ring people and ask them, what, what is it actually like that? What are the numbers saying to you? Right. So we're able to get that ground truth, which is, which is extremely valuable. And, and this is where... I think um, we're we're able to be very flexible, mm. but but it takes some work. Yeah, I think unfiltered information is, uh, especially in this day and age, is is an important uh, is an important thing to have access to. Definitely. Well, I I think unfiltered, but also you you need to validate where the information is coming from, and that's one of the things that you learn uh, certainly from a from a command point of view where you're where you're dealing with long communication chains, you have to validate where the information one came from. Is it a trusted yep. source? When was it given? Is it five minutes old or four hours old? Right. And then you need to assess how long is that, um, that timeline chain and decide or based on other information that you may have validated if that is even credible now. And in a fast-moving situation, as you say, what was, what was true? even an hour ago sometimes, is no longer. Yeah. Um, maybe we'll switch gears and we'll see because um, Vladimir's been sitting patiently in his beautiful location there in Croatia that we're all very jealous of. Um, and uh, Vlad is, uh, is uh, I believe he, he still flies and he's, a, he's your, tr your head of training, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so Vlad, maybe we'll turn to you and you can tell us maybe a little bit about, um, your career path and, uh, how you ended up, um, at Elite Avia. That's basically easy. Since I was a kid, I was looking to the sky. 
in my hometown, uh, town, there was a small flying club, which I was visiting quite often by my, by my bicycle as well. So at the age of 16, I joined the course starting flying gliders. And since then, the path was just straightforward. Um, I went to the University for Mechanical Engineering when I was doing the aviation uh, studies. So after my degree, I joined the local uh, national carrier airline, which I became first officer. Starting with DC-9 and MD-80s, and since then, I was 24 years there, going from the very young first officer up to the being captain, uh, TRI, TRE, and later on, fleet chief instructor. There. After a while of uh, this training involvement, I realized that it's time for me to change the environment from the airline to something more challenging for me. I decided to go definitely for the global airplane, which is global, it's not <laughs> local. <laughs> and with that, uh, the Bombardier Global was the only solution for me. So I picked up the training at CAE with the help of Elitavia. I finished my type rating. And after some freelance workaround and another company, I was offered the job of uh, head of training in Elitavia. So I accepted the, the job, but the thing was that I was not prepared for the job. It was quite some time before I was able to be responsible for what I was responsible. <laughs> <laughs> so um, after that, the path was easy. At a certain moment, we managed three AOCs of Elitavia, and on all three, three AOCs, I was head of training nominated person for the training and all the time since very beginning in 2007 when i was actually in a business aviation first time visiting cie uh we are always connected basically more and more to the CAE. i was doing some training before but i was still in airline as a tri and tre in some CAE facilities one of that to be mentioned is madrid but it was a commercial part, not business aviation part. So basically since 2013, I was related only to the CA business aviation training. I was first really surprised since the training was amazingly good and tailored. While I was responsible then for the other crews to be trained properly, in time and to finish on time it was not easy actually to to follow all this at certain moment i realized that we have a reliable partner cae is really reliable partner uh plenty of responsible people in cae actually became my friends we can talk 24 7 whenever something is needed and i believe that the team CA is really amazing. They are, they have a passion, passion for this part of the job. All instructors, they love being instructors. They love being there. So they have enough experience around, and I'm pretty happy that we are sharing the experience further to the to the pilots. 
not only to elite avia pilots, the rest of the business aviation pilots all over the world, whoever is joining the CAE training is always welcome, welcomed basically like you're coming back home. And obviously that's our objective at CAE is to, uh, is to do just what you're describing. So um, we're very happy to, uh, to hear that your experience uh, is, uh, is as good as you describe it. Um, tell me about the training in terms of what, maybe what you've done with your pilots um, in terms of training for COVID and how, uh, what you've had to do with your pilots uh, since the beginning of the outbreak. Since the beginning of the outbreak, we are continuously trying to keep the training as usual. We don't want to deviate from the training if it's not really necessary. We are keeping all the mandatory periodic trainings in place. The only thing is that there are plenty of last-minute changes due to travel restrictions, due to different country restrictions, due to different passports of the, the pilots, due to different previous travels of the pilots. We are always uh, revising the last-minute things. As you know, CIE implemented plenty of rules for the trainees visiting the training centers of CIE. Each training center has a different rules in place. The rules are changing daily. Uh, measures taken are, in some places, more restrictive and some other less restrictive. But basically, before the pilots start training, we cannot be sure that they will start training. However, till now, we were really lucky. We've been able, with some rescheduling, to basically bring all the pilots to the dedicated training centers, and we did the trainings quite regularly. I was recently in Amsterdam Training Center, end of April, the mid of the COVID outbreak. It was not easy to come there. Finally, I was able to, to reach Amsterdam with a little bit of delay, but the training was as professional as usual, with all the measures in place. It was not easy to do the training, sweating in the simulator for four hours with a rubber hand gloves and a mask over the face. It's not what the pilots are used to. Definitely not. But again, if we understand why these measures are in place, then we have to adapt. And we are daily adapting. So traveling around the world, you can see daily restrictions imposed by certain governments which are changing. Today, you come to one country, tomorrow you are coming back, the measures are different. So you have to be sure that you are informed correctly, that you follow the rules for, let's say, personal safety and for the safety culture of Elitavia as well. As well, to respect the, the restrictions at CIE, we are doing this for our personal safety and for the safety of the personnel there. And getting more into the operation, how has, uh, how has the, the job of a pilot or how has uh, being a pilot changed since the beginning of, of COVID in terms of measures that are required, uh, you know, whether it be uh, at the airport, on a layover, in flight? Again, this answer can be easily explained in comparison to the 
normal human being visiting the shop. It's not the same experience anymore. If you go shopping, you have to use some protection, gloves, hand sanitizing, masks, uh, social distancing, all these places. The same restrictions apply as well for us. The thing is that some places are more restrictive, some are less, but basically all over the world there are restrictions. Going from the airport to the hotel, you have basically no chance anymore to go to the restaurant. You have to order food to your room. Some hotels even don't have the room services anymore. You have to order the, room, the, the food from delivery companies. It's, it's challenging. But so far, it was, let's say, acceptable as we all accepted the new challenges. We are actually doing what we need to do to stay safe, to keep the business running, not to jeopardize what is our goal, to bring the safe customers to the safe destinations as safe as possible. So meeting, meeting our clients at the airport building, in front of the aircraft, wherever, all the restrictions, like every normal person is experiencing during the day, all the restrictions are there. So the, from taking the temperature from the passengers, not shaking the hands, uh, social distancing to them. So as long as we are in a contact with anyone who is not the original crew, we have to keep the full social distance. Even between the crew, though we live as a family together while we are on duty. Which it's is a little bit different. It's not that easy, but still, we have to be sure that everyone is safe. Yeah, and I think that it's a, it's a matter of it's not natural for any of us to be going through this, especially a crew who is, uh, it's all about togetherness, working together as a team uh, that close and with customers where you expect to, you know, I think in business aviation especially, there's a certain level of service that's expected. And, uh, you know, that has, uh, that has certainly changed. Um, not the level of service has changed, but the way the service is delivered um, has certainly changed. Like there was one last question I wanted to ask you, and it's one that I've asked a lot of people, a lot of the pilots that we've had on the podcast. And that is, you know, uh, there's a lot of pilots who are either not working right now or who are younger aspiring pilots who are in flying schools and they're looking at the economic environment and they're looking at what's happening, but they still have a passion for flying. What would you suggest to these uh, people right now who are sort of seeing their dreams either put on pause or uh, are wondering if they should continue? What would, what would you say to them? I might start a little bit differently that you expected now. So, I was given the quote by the Indian said guru from my wife today. And I will give you his quote for these challenging times today. He said, challenging times are an opportunity for individuals and the nations to rise above their comfort zones and enhance life. This can be as well for the pilots. Everyone has been living in the past in the comfort zone. So being pilot in an really, really good progressing uh, airline, the job was safe. No one was thinking even about to be fired. 
Now the time has changed. Definitely what I would suggest the pilots, keep looking, don't give up. You have to continue. The world sooner or later will need more pilots, definitely. I'm in aviation, let's say professional part of the aviation, a little bit more than 30 years now. In all these years, I've been through different uh, ups and downs, definitely. But like it is now, I believe it was never before. But again, there will be path up again. Sooner or later, the business will be growing. And at that moment, the pilots will be needed. But if the pilots will be desperate, doing different things to survive, some pilots will be definitely lost for the community. But on the other hand, I can say that 80% or even more of the pilots live their dream because they're pilots because of the dreams from the childhood. If they can continue dreaming, they will get a job back sooner or later. And I think uh, very inspiring words. Um, appreciate that, Vlad. Um, finally, uh, you know, Ian, any, uh, any final thoughts from you before we sign off? Well, I, I just uh, echo Vladimir's uh, approach there. It's, it's really uh, unprecedented. We use the word time where people are very uncertain about what's going to happen. Um, uh, one of the more famous um, speakers, uh, a guy called Zig Ziglar, uh, coined the, the phrase that uh, fear is false evident appearing real. The problem we have with fear at the moment is there's, there's plenty of evidence out there on media and social media channels to say um, that it's real. Uh, I, I would also point to um, you know, 2008, where we, where we had a massive financial crisis, uh, the, early, uh, the early 90s, where we had a, another crisis, uh, the early 70s, where we had another crisis. And if you look at um, where the big businesses of today are, they were formed in them periods. I think from um, from the original start of the um, uh, the, uh, the stock market, uh, I saw some estimation that ninety percent of the the biggest businesses no longer exist because they don't reflect the environment they're in, uh, and they've changed. So I would say exactly the same as Vladimir. You just got to keep pushing. You got to keep dreaming. You've got to keep uh, uh, faith that it's going to turn around because it will if you put the effort in to make it happen. Um, but back to the word teamwork and partnership, we, we just can't get through this without those um, structures. And uh, I would finish with um, just a word to the, to the team and all our suppliers and partners like yourselves. Uh, we're lucky to have those people in our business and supporting us. Um, we can't probably articulate the gratitude that we feel towards them as team members and partners. But uh, we know that if we work together, we'll, we'll get through this. And hopefully, 
uh, we'll see some of those pilots and um, and other colleagues who are looking to stay in aviation join us. Um, well, listen, uh, we're lucky to have uh, to count Elite Avia amongst our customers. It certainly sounds like you have uh, a wonderful team there, and that you're doing everything to ensure the safety of your employees, um, your customers, and uh, I think. Uh, Everyone who flies with you can have a lot of confidence that uh, you're doing the right things. Thank you so much for joining us on the CAE Pilot Podcast. Um, we wish you well, and uh, hopefully we'll have the chance to talk again. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks Thank for you, the brother. All right, take Thank care. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. CAE Pilot Podcast is brought to you by CAE, the global leader in training for the civil aviation, defense and security, and healthcare markets. For more information, check out CAE.com.